Okay, there we go. Thank you, worship band, for leading us in worship this morning, as well as thank you all, um, the body of Bigwoods, for praying for me um, and encouraging me throughout this coming week um, in preparation for this morning. Um, We've been studying through the book of Colossians as a church, as a series that's been taught by all of our pastors and our elders, which is kind of funny how we've been talking about it like that. Um, The term pastor, elder, even overseer in scripture, all refer to the same church office. The same group of church leaders are called the shepherd, the church, in the New Testament. But with that aside, um, I don't know about you, but I've greatly enjoyed this so far. Uh, Aaron Badorf opened our series. Uh, giving an overview of the book and how we're called to be grounded in Christ. Matt Tremble taught from Colossians 1, 1 to 8, and about how love is to be the mark of all Christians. Josh Hamilton, the following week, expounded upon that in Colossians 1, 9 to 14, that that love which Matt talked about, to be the mark of Christians is to be used for something, used to love and support and challenge and disciple one another. Dr. Art Gray spoke from Colossians 1, 15 to 23, making one point crystal clear, that Christ is supreme. And last week, Zane Padalev taught from Colossians 1, 24 to 2, 5, that we are to encourage one another towards maturity and to take responsibility for our own maturity in Christ. Which brings us to today. Um, I'm Stuart Redkay, if you don't know me. I'm one of the elders here at Bigwoods, and I have the great privilege of working with the students and their parents each and every week as the youth pastor. Um, the youth kids knew I was a little nervous going into the week, like, oh, we'll pray for you, and just imagine they're all youth students. Imagine they're all teenagers, and you'll be fine. Like, okay, it's an option, but I'm going to be really tempted to point out someone sooner or later and say that better be the Bible app that you're looking at, <laughs> not Snapchat. But... Far more importantly for this morning, uh, my hope and my prayer has been all week uh, that God's word will be faithfully proclaimed above all. Um, so on that note, let's read the text. Uh, we'll be looking at Colossians 2, 6 to 15 today from the ESV, and then we'll enter before God in prayer. Therefore, you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, Builted and rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you're also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are raised in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let us pray. God, thank you that we can come together uh, this morning. Thank you that we can come together and we can worship you, um, that we can openly assemble and have the freedom to do that here in this country. God, as we 
look into your word, look into the book of Colossians this morning. I pray that your word will be faithfully proclaimed. That God, you will guard me from saying anything that is against your word. And it will be clearly taught. And that God, as we look at this, um, let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Help us to recognize who Christ is and how it is him alone who has saved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, so today, we're going to be looking really deep, we're going to be dissecting into the details of Colossians 2, 6-7. I'm going to read it one more time for you. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you have a differing translation, it might read something like, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him instead. Um, the Greek word used here is peripato. Um, it means to live or to walk. Not in like a periodical sense, like this afternoon I might take my dog for a walk. But in kind of like a constant sense. We, we use the word walk on occasions in the English language in a similar way. Um, does he walk the walk? Does the person's actions or do, um, what they care about in life really back up what they say? Or we might say people are coming from different walks of life. In both of these instances, we're not talking about um, an activity of putting one foot in front of the other, but rather life as a whole. In the same way, we should be thinking about the instruction that Paul gives the Colossians here. To walk in him, meaning walking in Christ, is not a temporary action, but something that affects all of life. Paul is telling the Colossians, if they've received Christ, they are to walk like Christ walked. To walk in Christ means to live like Christ lived. 1 John 2, 5-6 concerns this. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, if we say we're Christians, we better walk like Christ. We better live like Christ. So the main point, the the bottom line today, of not only today's message, but should be the goal for our lives, is to live like Christ. To walk in Him means to walk like Christ. To live like Christ. And that should be the goal of our lives and the goal of our church as a whole. How can we best live like Christ? How do we begin to live like Christ? Now, that, that, that's a massive subject that hopefully we talk about every single week here. Um, but what we're looking at this passage in particular today, and as we continue reading through this passage, it starts to give us an idea and starts to explain just how do we do that? How do we begin to live like Christ? Going further, it says, so walk in him rooted. Um, roots, plant roots, tree roots, um, they're for stability and they're for growth. Uh, a plant or a tree must be rooted in something to grow, to survive. If they have poor roots or if they have a lack of roots, that generally leads to a lack of survival for the plant. And those roots should be strong and stable. Otherwise, they'll be pulled out by anything. A year ago, I used to have two 10-foot-tall apple trees in my yard. I also, a little over a year ago, had a 90-pound, nine-month-old puppy named Loki. 
The kids who know Loki already know where this one's going. The dog was let out on a 20-foot leash. And I was doing yard work, and eventually the dog wrapped the leash around the apple tree. And most dogs would stop, bark, and want help. But my dog looked at the leash, looked at the tree, and then before I could run across the yard and stop him, he ripped the entire apple tree out of the ground. The tree has not survived its rapid transplantation out of the earth. I only have one apple tree as of right now. But I was kind of curious as to how could the dog do that. Apple trees, if you didn't know, are, are taproot plants. They have one root which is supposed to grow incredibly deep, and it's generally a very large root that anchors the entire plant into the ground. Think like a carrot. It's a taproot plant. My apple tree, though, was missing this taproot. It, it was anchored into nothing. Our faith must have roots. We must have stability from something. We must be anchored in something. But where is that stability? Where is our anchor to be? So some common answers I've heard would be uh, our feelings. We, we feel that God is real and God is there. Mm, no. King David, a man after God's own heart, we studied him a good deal this summer. Um, at times felt abandoned by God. His feelings failed him. He even says at one point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David spent time, if you read through the Psalms, in times of the depths of depression, not feeling like God was with him. Our feelings will fail and lead us astray. Okay, if not feelings. Uh, maybe stability from people. What about, what about the rest of the church? God's people, that, that would be a great answer. No, no again. I'll be honest with you. I am sinful. Whether you like to admit it or not, you are sinful. We are sinful people who will fail each other. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4 writes of how people abandon him and how no one came to stand by him at times when he needed them. Peter, the very Apostle Peter, abandoned and failed Christ denying him three times when he was on trial. All other roots, all other foundations are going to fail us, except for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We find our stability in who Christ is and what Christ has already done for us. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. In him, we are to be rooted. Colossians 2, 9-15, much of the rest of the passage, I think, drives this home. Um, it gives us an excellent summary of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Um, as I read this, uh, make note of how it is in Christ which these things are done, and how we are the passive recipients of it. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through the power, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our demands by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I I might sound like a broken record at the moment, but I'm trying to drive a point home that ultimately when we look at that passage, when we look at scripture, it's done by Christ. If you read through verses 9 to 15, we are just the recipients of what Christ has already done. We contribute nothing to our own salvation. In Jonathan Edwards' words, an early American pastor and theologian, he said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It is not our actions and our deeds that we find the bedrock of our faith. It is not in other people. It is not in the way we feel about God or the church at some moment. It is not in some subjective sense of truth that we decide to define for ourselves. All of those things will fail, except for Christ. If our foundation is not in Christ, we have a rootless faith. A faith without anchor, a faith that is going to be ripped up and dragged around the yard like the apple tree was when the trials of life hit us. For us to walk like Christ walked, for us to live like Christ lived, we must first recognize who is Jesus and what he has done for us. It is Christ who died for our sins. It is Christ who redeemed us. It is Christ who has made us right before God. Not us, not our actions, not our feelings. Our faith has nothing to stand on except for Christ alone. The first step to living like Christ is to recognize what he has done for us and that we didn't deserve it. Secondly, it says that we're called to be built up in him. Um, some of your translations, depending upon which one you have, um, many of them read possibilities are being built up. Uh, this is because unlike rooted, uh, the word rooted they use is actually in the past tense. It looks back at what Christ has already done. Uh, this being built up is a present and ongoing action. It is something that has to be actively ongoing in our lives. And this isn't just a metaphor used by Paul, but one we find throughout the New Testament. Um, Acts 20, 32. We are to be built up through God's word, the Bible. Um, Acts, 30, Acts 20, 32 is Paul speaking to individuals at Ephesus. And I commend you to God and to the grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. We're also to be built up through prayer. Uh, Jude 1, 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Finally, we're to be built up through the church and other believers. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called through Scripture to be actively building ourselves up 
towards a mature faith in Christ. Towards knowledge of who is Christ. What does God's word say? But also in the practical. How can we live more like Christ? What would Christ do in this situation? Um, what is mature wisdom that I can develop? And how do I address or how do I talk to an individual in this there's a fancy name for this process. Here's your Scrabble word of the day. It's called sanctification. Um, sanctification is essentially a big, fancy theological term for becoming more like Jesus. We are called to be built up through God's word, through prayer, and through discipleship and teaching of others so that we will be sanctified. We will look more like Christ. But it also has a secondary purpose, which this Colossians pas- passage me- uh, mentions. This building up is to make us strong in the face of false teaching and worldly deceit. Just as a castle is built to withstand an infantry assault, our faith must be built up into maturity through God's word, prayer, and discipleship and teaching to withstand false teaching and pressures of the world. The Ephesians passage we just read in verse 14 makes this very clear. That Christians are to be built up in the body of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Jumping back to Colossians 2, um, in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We're called to be built up in the knowledge of Christ and his word to know it well, to be in prayer, to learn from others around us so that we know the truth, we know what God teaches. Therefore, allowing us to guard ourselves against false teaching and lies that are in the world even today. Lies like God promises to make you wealthy. It's a sign of God's blessing. I'll be honest, that's not in Scripture. Lies may be like truth is subjective. You can have your truth and I can have my truth and everything's good. No, there is one truth and is determined by the one true God. Jesus even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or lies like, and I'm speaking maybe to the youth and college students here, YOLO, you only live once. So eat, drink, be merry, and don't worry about eternal consequences. Well, to be honest with you, there will be consequences for actions. And those consequences will be eternal. We are to build ourselves up in God's word, in prayer, and alongside one another. So that we not only look like and live like Christ, but so that we can stand strong in what in this world is false. And finally, although this building up requires us to take an active role. Um, In Acts 2, the Ephesians need to read God's word. They have to open up, they have to study it, they have to read it. Um, In Jude 1, the readers of this letter were called to pray. In Ephesians 4, the church needed to come together for discipleship and teaching. Although they're required to take an active role, nothing is going to happen without the intervention of God as the Holy Spirit until we are established in the faith, as it says in Colossians 2.7. This term established in the faith is yet another metaphor that Paul is using. 
and it points towards the execution of a legal document. So if we want to think about this in a similar way, uh, think of a will. Um, I could put anything I want in my will. I could say I want to be buried in a neon pink coffin. I could say that I want to leave all of my money to my dogs. Sounds weird, people have done it. But that paper carries absolutely no power. It just scribbles on a page until it is signed and it is, the legal term would be executed. It is done. It is God through the Holy Spirit who ultimately executes, who produces changes in our lives and our hearts so that we can walk and live like Christ. Paul is pointing towards the centrality and the activity of God in the Colossians' development towards Christian maturity. John 6, 44-45 No one can come to me unless the Father who, draws me, who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. You can read the Bible cover to cover. You, you can pray 18 hours a day, every day for the rest of your life. Um, I could preach the greatest sermon up here ever in history, and it will do absolutely nothing unless the Holy Spirit works in our hearts today. It is the Holy Spirit which establishes those things in us. It is the Holy Spirit who changes us. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us more Christ-like. I'm not trying to absolve us of responsibility. We are called to study God's word. We are called to pray. We are called to discipleship and teaching within the church. But the reason I'm saying this is because our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, we have to recognize, um, is still a supernatural event. Just as the Holy Spirit coming into us and, and helping us recognize the supremacy and the truthfulness of the gospel, and becoming a Christian initially is an act of God, so is us becoming more like Christ. So in review, if we've received and we've recognized Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're called to walk in Him. To walk in Him means to walk as Christ walked. To live like Christ lived. We do this first by recognizing that we have our stability. We are to be rooted in who Christ is and what he's done. Not in other people, not in our feelings, not in anything else that is temporary in this world. But solely in the person and work of Christ. Secondly, we are called to be actively building ourselves up towards a mature faith towards wisdom and knowledge of Christ, who he is, and what God commands us. Through the study of God's word, through prayer, and through discipleship and teaching in the church. That is how we learn to live as Christ lived. And finally, by that, the Holy Spirit will establish and grow us in a Christ-likeness through his supernatural working in us. The Christian faith, following Christ, it's ultimately not about what we do. It's not about what I've done, it's not about what you do. It makes it different from every other religion in the world. 
It's about what Christ has already done. There is no checklist. There is no five steps to heaven. There is no three-step plan. The Christian faith is already is ultimately looking at what God has already done for us through Christ and what God continues to do in us through the Holy Spirit. Which that leaves us with only one option, as we're told to and commanded to in Colossians 2.7. To be abounding and overflowing in thanksgiving. We turn back to God and praise him for what he has done for us through Christ, because it's something we could not have done ourselves. It's not to be a leaky faucet of thanks, as one of my commentators put it, but an overwhelming downpour of thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. And it's a thankfulness that's supposed to overflow from our vertical relationship with God to the horizontal relationships around us. If we've received such an overabundance of love and mercy that we could not possibly deserve from God, how can we not give the same to those around us? Hebrews 13.15 confirms this. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. With all that God has done for us, the only proper response that we can have and the only thing we can truly do, we can't pay God back with money, we can't pay him back um, with good works. The only proper response for us um, is to turn in praise to him. When we speak of, okay, how can I be more obedient to Christ in the church? We're not doing it out of, okay, you've paid off my debt, now let me pay you back in $5 increments. It's out of gratitude for what he's already done, because we can never possibly pay it back. The only thing we can do is praise him, and then show the love that God has already shown to us, to those around us, out of gratitude and thankfulness for what we have received. Today we actually have an opportunity um, to take time aside to think and meditate on what we can be thankful for through communion. Uh, We practice communion as a reminder for what Christ has done for us. You see, the night before Jesus' execution, um, he took his disciples, his closest followers, his closest friends to an upper dining room. And as they were eating dinner, he kind of called things to a halt. And he took out unleavened bread and wine. He took the bread and showed it to his disciples. And he broke it and pulled it apart in front of them. He told, he told them that this was going to be his body. That was going to be broken for them. Then he took, it says, the fruit of the vine and he poured it out in front of them. He said, this is going to be my blood, which is going to be poured out for you. All of these things would come to pass. Jesus would come to die a horrendous death. His body broken and his blood poured out, as he said it would. He would bear all of those things willingly, taking our sin, our offenses against God on himself 
and paying that penalty that we could not. We as people were forgetful. So we're commanded to practice this regularly. And I'll be honest, there's nothing uh, magical about what's going to be passed out this morning. It's, it's a crackers and grape juice. But we do this out of remembrance, out of a reminder for what Christ has already done for us. That Christ lived a perfect life, died a death that we did not deserve. He died a death that he didn't deserve in our place. And was resurrected, defeating death and the reign of sin. As followers of Christ, those who have trusted him as the Lord and Savior, we do this so that we do not forget. And we remember what he has done. Now, although this is serious, it's not just a solemn remembrance. But it's also to be done, I think, with an act of joy and thanksgiving. For a conquering king who loved us when we did not deserve it most. Now, I do ask this morning, I don't mean to be rude um, in any way at all. um, But if you don't know Christ, if you haven't committed your life to him as your Lord and Savior, um, I would ask uh, that you please refrain uh, from this. That would be meaningless. Um, but if in your seats right now, and you want to have that relationship with Christ, you can pray to him right now where you are. Confessing that you're a sinner. Asking Christ to be the Lord, the King of your life, and your Savior. And if you're not sure or you want to know more information, uh, feel free to talk to me afterwards. Feel free to talk to any of the elders, deacons. Turn to the person beside you. If they're a Big Woods member, they should want to t- tell you all about it. And if you're visiting with us and you've placed your faith in Christ, uh, we invite you as a brother or sister uh, to join us in remembering him. Those who are serving communion, um, if you would come forward at this time.